Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places. It's all here. I'm Nancy Sarnoff, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle, and I'm here today with Rebecca Schutz. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Nancy. So, Rebecca, on our last show, we brought in a Houston attorney who works with real estate investors, and we brought him on to tell us about opportunity zones. And just to recap, opportunity zones are a new part of the federal tax code. It was something that was adopted at the end of 2017, and basically each state has designated a group of economically disadvantaged neighborhoods as opportunity zones. And in these zones, certain new investments, whether it's someone buying a business or someone buying a piece of property, whatever it is, these investors can be eligible for preferential tax treatment. So They're basically economic development tools designed to spur growth and job creation in distressed areas. Mm -hmm. They've been getting a lot of buzz lately as more people find out about them and what the benefits are. John Ransom, the lawyer we had on last week, said that he's noticed a ton of interest from the real estate community from people not only interested in investing in opportunity zones, but people that own property in opportunity zones. And he said his office so far, I think, had done about 40 of these deals. Today on the show, our guest is Houston City Councilwoman Amanda Edwards. She is an at-large councilwoman, and she has been closely following opportunity zones and studying their implications on Houston. Councilwoman Edwards, welcome to Looped In. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get into Opportunity Zones, I noticed in your bio that you live in Midtown. That's correct. Okay. So on Looped In, we have been talking a lot, we have been for the past couple years, a lot about the Sears building and the Innovation District and just wondered, I mean, do you, you must have Thoughts on that property if you live in the neighborhood? And what do you think about what they're planning to do over there? Well, just to give you a little context, and again, I'm excited to be on the show. We created a task force for technology and innovation back in 2016. Uh And one of the recommendations that came out of it was that we promote density for our tech and innovation community. And so Rice stepped up to the plate and said, hey, we've got the Sears building now that's become available. Um, Why not have that be the centerpiece of the innovation district. So in our report, we didn't specify where it needed to be, but more so characteristics of what it needed to have. Mm -hmm. The ability to have live, work, and play all connected into one. That's what that innovation community is really looking for, ability for an investor and a startup to bump into each other in a Starbucks. So those abilities to collide are really important. So with the Sears building now becoming available for discussion, I think now you're going to see, I think they're actually starting the build out uh, sometime early 
or late spring rather, Mm -hmm. and you'll begin to see the workup of what that could create. And certainly there's a lot of excitement, not just within the tech community, but also uh, from within the entire community of Houston in terms of what that will mean in terms of our economy. So there's a lot of excitement as a whole. I think with regard to Opportunity Zones, there are some questions still as to what that means for the ability to utilize the Opportunity Zone connectivity to the, the actual district. What I mean by that is, for instance, when you talk about investments in business, um, those investments have to be equity investments. Those are set forth by the proposed regulations, which have yet to be finalized, but also proposed in those regulations is the fact that some of those businesses have to have certain parameters like 50% of their commercial activity taking place within the zone and Mm -hmm. 70% of their physical assets being within the zone. So Will that mean that you will have a free-for-all or an ability to see all of this equity investment flow into the startups there may not necessarily be the case. It could. We just have to wait and see in terms of what the final regulations will actually state. But it will be interesting to see what types of businesses get invested in as a result of the way the regulations are written. And right now, we've past the comment phase of the proposed regulations and are now just waiting on the Treasury to actually put out the final regs. And I know that's been a question many people have asked in a lot of conversations that I've been part of across the nation in terms of what businesses will really uh, satisfy the criteria. And so that's kind of an open question until those final regs come out. And so I think that's why probably you'll hear a lot more emphasis on the real estate component of investment opportunity as opposed to business because there's some question about what businesses will actually be eligible. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Midtown is an opportunity zone. Yes, Mm -hmm. there are 99 opportunity zones inside the city limits. There are over 100 in Harris County. And so um, so there are some places that are obvious places where you would think that they'd be and some that are not as obvious. So um, we spoke with a lawyer last week. Mm -hmm. You know, we heard all about the buzz amongst investors. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned to him that you're coming up. On. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm very interested to see what someone from the city has to think because what investors think might be different than what um, people working from the city and maybe community organizers think about Opportunity Zones. I'm just interested in your thoughts. Absolutely. And I've actually been spending a lot of time focused on resident thought process and Mm -hmm. resident inclusion in this. My background, of course, is of someone who's very interested in engaging residents on the front end rather than on the back end of something like this. And so instead of you walking out in your neighborhood and seeing new stuff pop up and you're not sure why or how or what's, what's sparring some of that, you being a part of the conversation when the conversation is initially taking place, I think is important. So I've been partnering with LISC, um, which is an organization that helps to facilitate stakeholders and different community organizations in terms of neighborhood, community oriented development and the like. And LISC and I have partnered for two events in which we are bringing residents to the conversation. We've invited them to the table to first say what actually are opportunity zones. So debunking a lot of the misnomers, a lot of the questions, answering them, taking our notes about what the gaps are because the way the regs are written, they're not perfect. And so certainly those gaps, identifying that with residents and then answering the question or asking the questions, well, what would you like to to see in your community. And that, I think, is really important because that brings us to what can we do as a city. So I've 
participated in a group called Accelerator for America. It's led by Mayor Eric Garcetti of Los Angeles, and they bring together mayors and and various stakeholders across the country to talk about real-life policy implications of things like opportunity zones and kind of the nuts and bolts of these things. And so one of the things that has come out of those meetings is the fact that, you know, there aren't regulatory controls at the local level. Um, It really is not a federal or state program in the traditional sense. It's really a series of tax incentives. So the market really can drive a lot of what you see. And so instead of just allowing the market to drive it exclusively, why not have some city input as best we can? And so a number of cities across the country actually have been proffering what's called a prospectus document in each of those cities. Not everyone, of course, but that identifies the projects that they would like to see investment in um, as opposed to just allowing it just to be the market without a voice from the city. Well, Take that one step further. Here in Houston, we have an interesting situation on our hands, seeing as though there there is no zoning here in our city. And so how do we prevent this from just being wholesale gentrification or displacement? Those are some of the concerns that I have. And so we we are thinking through this and thinking a prospectus document at the city level, city of Houston level, would be one way in which we can identify projects that may be friendly to investors, which of course, it's going to probably help to drive their decision making, but moreover, friendly to residents currently existing in those communities. Yeah. And it's where you sort of want to guide, help guide investment because ultimately you can put forth these ideas or guidelines, this prospectus, but, you know, they could come in and just kind of do their... They don't have to listen to us in any way. I do want to be extremely clear. This is just our thought, right. our, our thought process in terms of what we think. Now, like putting an it investor, to its best use. Yeah, and, but an investor doesn't have to adhere to it. It's not mm-hmm. regulatory, but we can say, here are some additional economic development tools that might be available for a project like this. Mm-hmm. And so the city has in its toolkit economic development tools, tax abatements, things like that, that can make a deal more appealing. Um, and so depending on the type of transaction or deal, we can bring more to the table because it's the kind of things we things we want to encourage. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about the incentives you put up will, of course, you know, kind of put your, I don't want to say money where your mouth is, but help to um, move the needle in the direction that you're trying to head. And so for us, we want our, our residents now to be able to benefit from these investments investments, not just watch them happen and then suddenly find themselves out of their community. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a conversation that's that's been going on for a long time, right? Yes. With you know, with or without opportunity zones. One of the things I'm curious about hearing more on is you said that during these meetings You've been learning a lot yes. from the people you've been speaking with. What are some of the things you've been learning? I think the one of the first part was that what are opportunity zones? I think there was a lot of confusion initially. So we had a meeting in November, and we just had another one in February. We'll be doing another one again this spring at some point. But the fact that most people were thinking that these were federal dollars coming in, and so it's and understanding that how the investment has to originate. These are capital gains. So if you are subject to capital gains tax, this is a measure in which you can defer those taxes and or reduce the amount that you owe on those capital gains. Mm -hmm. And so people were asking questions like, oh, well, can anybody just 
invest? Well, you're like, yes, you can if they're capital gains. And so making sure that people understand what that looks like. One assumption I think that we made was that there was an assumption that all dollars were going to be coming in from outside, outside the community. We had a number of people saying, well, can I create an opportunity fund? Of course, you have to create what's called an opportunity fund in order for those investment dollars to flow. You cannot just buy a piece of real estate and that's then all of a sudden you're going to be privy to the same tax benefits. You actually have to create what's called an opportunity fund and the money has to flow through the fund. Hmm. And so understanding those differences of, of people having an interest inside their community and saying, well, if, if there are business leaders or whomever who has gap, capital gains, can they do it? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And so there was, I think, some, some, some assumption that people from within could not be empowered themselves to take advantage of this this program. And certainly they can if they have capital gains tax benefits that they want to to be privy to. Um, mm-hmm. The other piece I would say is, you know, the lack, it's a self-certification process. And so a lot of people had concern about that as well. And, and the fact that there wasn't that regulatory layer. And so I, I sensed that they wanted to see that. They wanted to see transparency with regard to if they did have projects, people who were looking to invest even, would we have an opportunity for people to see what investment opportunities existed on kind of a wide spectrum, so like a portal or something like that. Hmm. And so there were a lot of questions, a lot of concerns raised, of course, um, and there were some a number of misnomers, but generally speaking, people really are interested in this topic, both from the investor perspective, the stakeholder resident perspective, as well as just good policy, people wanting to see a win for the city result from this and a win meaning a win for its residents as well. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. So you heard people who are like, oh, if I had this some sort of venture that needs investment. Is there a way to connect me with? Yeah, people want. Uh, yeah, and, the, and is the city doing anything and, along those lines? And that's. I think we're at the early stages. I would like to see the city play a facilitation role in some way in which we can connect the information because that's the other piece that makes this a little more complicated than a little more complicated on the equity business investments than on the real estate side. This is a conversation I've actually been having with the Accelerator for America um, participants, which is. How do we ensure that the investment is appealing enough and sizable enough? Because, again, what's going to cause someone to invest in what might be a high-risk investment that you couldn't get traditional bank loan or debt financing for? Mm -hmm. And so that becomes tricky, but I would like to see this work for those businesses as well. And so you see sometimes there are organizations and entities, there are few that I won't name on on air, but that do some of this kind of higher risk investment in restaurants in the city, um, really specifically looking to try to bring them access to capital. In fact, I just started a task force for women and minority owned businesses to look at the question of access to capital and also how to scale up those businesses. But linking those two things would be really huge for our city if we can try to help facilitate that. And I'd like to see us do that. So connecting restaurants, yeah. women-owned businesses, minority-owned mm-hmm. businesses with exactly. some of this capital coming in. Exactly. And, and, and it's equity. And so mm-hmm. people would have to understand that it's not, and this is another thing that's come up. Mm-hmm. This is not a loan instrument. This is not a debt instrument. So I'm taking some of the ownership interest mm-hmm. in your company. So mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. sure that people have the education about that interest that would be taken on by that investor is important as well. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's very interesting that some of this tax benefit could go towards businesses that are already existing Mm -hmm. in exchange for some equity. You know, that's something that wouldn't come to my head necessarily when I first heard about this tax break. Um, Did you hear other things in these meetings, like other types of investment people were looking for in their communities? Um, Yeah, of course, people talk about housing. I think that's that's one of the things that are pervasive. But I mean, beyond that, people wanting to see grocery stores. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of the things that have been typical and, you know, food deserts, they want to see grocery stores, the things that people find that area to be high-risk investment areas, they want to see the things that are not coming in come in. And so, you know, just those kinds of traditional things to make quality of life in the community better, I think you're going to see or, you know, hear that. But then there are also projects that, for instance, that management districts or TERSs or other entities that have online that they haven't gotten financing for, that you're going to want to see that. The livable center studies, you look at those Lots of great ideas have been generated time and time again. The question is the ability to execute on that. And normally the gap relates to money. And mm-hmm. so this is where opportunity zones can actually present a true opportunity versus just an opportunity for the investor. And so, but we've got to help to facilitate bridging that gap. I feel like the the city, all you all doing all of this work, trying to look at, you know, what's needed and where it's needed should go to these law, these big law firms and these real estate <laughs> brokerages because they're, like you said, like they're on it. You yeah. know, they're they're doing it now, and their investors are calling and saying, "And where, what we where want, can you get me in?" We want to intercept that and say the the investors say, "Well, I saw something online that said this is the city of Houston prospectus. What is this? Mm-hmm. I want them to call they them to call their lawyer or their accountant and ask that question before mm-hmm. they make those decisions, as opposed to just making the decisions without." without the ability for us to at least say, this is what we think would be great for the city. And so Mm -hmm. I I hope that we're able to play that role. Certainly there are deals and things that are probably going to happen and they couldn't care less what the city thinks or what the residents have asked about or asked for. And that's fine too. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen. But um, we hope to be able to have some influence the best we can. And I I liken this because sometimes people ask, well, why are you going to do all of this stuff when they don't even have to listen to you? And I said, well, you have one of two choices in those kinds of scenarios. You can A, try to do your best to make your voice heard, or you can put your head in the sand. And so I think at least do our best to make our voice heard. And you will have some influence. Uh, We don't know the gravity of it, but at least you can have some influence that some of those investments are are friendly to the community. Mm -hmm. Is there any other specific neighborhood, one or two, that you think really stands to benefit from this in, in a way that Another another might not. Now, Nancy, or, you know I can't say that. I'm out yeah. large. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So I, I have to be, you know, I, I think they all stand to benefit in different ways. And so mm-hmm. really appreciating, which is why I've been pushing to try to have this prospectus document in a way that can provide some guideposts in terms of each neighborhood being so different. Some areas will have layers and layers and layers upon different resources, so it'll make them very appealing. Some won't have this kind of infrastructure where you have a TERS or a management district or a plan. So where where do we leave those? And so I think we've got to start where the communities are. You're not going to necessarily have a, we haven't made decisions, so I don't want to get too far out Mm -hmm. in terms of the second phase because these are things that I, I will 
say this, these are my ideas, not necessarily what the city has approved yet, but this is what I'm pushing for. Mm -hmm. Um, But nevertheless, I think you start with where those communities are and you see what can, what can be invested in maybe in the area that doesn't have a lot of real estate plan planning done. Maybe focus on the businesses, maybe are the businesses that could be created or let's get a grocery store in this area, or let's, you know, some of the things that have been plaguing them, let's see the opportunity for some growth. The other thing that I'm hoping to see is that we, um, a lot of the times there are, there are false assumptions about um, how investment friendly a community might be in terms of purchasing power. Well, what if you can demonstrate that there is purchasing power in an area despite the fact that there could be blight? And certainly we've seen this happen uh, in different parts of the country. And so basically trying to you know, debunk the misnomer that an area, just because it has blight in the area, that there is no purchasing power and therefore there shouldn't be a grocery store in that area. Mm. And so part of that is, is is part of the work that needs to be done. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if you've seen anything that other cities have done Yes. in response to opportunity zones, any other prospectuses yes. that you see as like interesting or something that we could learn from? Yeah, I mean, we have different cities that have put together prospectus documents with the Accelerator for America, um, and there are people who are working with them directly that are assisting cities to put them together. So there's actually a toolkit. We had a presentation with a small working group to discuss the toolkit um, and to discuss what's the best way to approach this, because it can be a very large undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you have various cities, um, city of Louisville, city of Stockton. There are different cities and, and there are many, many more. Some cities cre- are thinking about creating their own opportunity fund. Um, so they, there are different approaches that are being taken by different cities. Would I, Houston ever do that? I don't see us doing that. I mean, that creates a whole lot of other stuff to be concerned about in terms of regulation. Um, and so I don't see us going into the business of creating our own fund. But And that's actually kind of an anomaly in terms of what you're seeing across the board. Generally speaking, they kind of highlight some of the bigger projects that they want to see investment in or areas that would be really profitable for the investors. Some are less less emphasis. They all emphasize, obviously, that there will be some, it's investor friendly, but some have different kinds of unique projects that they associate with it. But those are just a few examples that have, we've been floating around um, in terms of what other cities have at least put on paper. And they've been doing this for some time. So, of course, they see it as it's an interesting thing because when you're talking to your residents in your city, they think of it only as their city. And and so this investment is nation- nationwide. And mm-hmm. so some people are very quick to get out because they want the investment to come to our city or XYZ city. And so they see it as competing among the cities. Mm-hmm. Some people, of course don't see it that way. And so it's a it's an interesting space. But again, they're all working from the framework of, I mean, we're all working from the framework of we do want investment. I think in, in the city of Houston, what we can do to be very unique is we want investment that embraces the unique character of Houston, which is that we're diverse and not only just in terms of race and, and those kinds of um, measures, but also in terms of socioeconomic status within our city. And I think we need to protect that um, as well as figure out ways that we can help those that are diverse in that way benefit from it. And lastly, and this for me, and this might be obvious, but um, what are some of the downsides of of this that you that you could foresee potentially in terms of opportunity zones. Yeah. Oh, I mean it's it's private. It's private. It's, yeah. So it's 
It's up to the discretion of the people who have the capital to invest. I yeah. mean, I, I, you know, there people look at me and say, well, what can you do? And it's like, well, we're going to do our best to articulate your voice or try to have some space in which that voice can be heard. But it doesn't mean that anybody has to listen. Mm -hmm. And so understanding what this actually is, is very, very important in terms of setting expectation setting. And so this is not a program of the city of Houston. This is not a program of the state of Texas. This is not, it is something emanating from the federal government, but it's really tax incentives that are emanating from the federal government right. less than it is some type of way in which we can guide, you know, investment in a way that benefits existing residents. There's nothing in the code or in the regulations that say that the investments have to be friendly to existing mm -hmm. residents. That's right. That's me adding that tier, <laughs> that, right, that right. layer onto that. It's not coming from the rules or regulations or coming from the law. So, you know, what will investors do is really up to the investors themselves. Mm -hmm. And so how can we do this in a way that tries to allow those voices to be heard as best as possible, sure. um, which is why I think it's important to have both the prong of investor-friendly because, mm -hmm. you, you know, if you lose sight to what it is for them, you're going to lose their their attention or never gain it. But then also, of course, looking at what is beneficial to existing residents. And I think there'll be some very uh, socially conscious investors. And right. I think there'll be some that couldn't care less. Exactly. And I think I'm you'll sure. have a mix. With everything. Yeah, you'll have Absolutely. a mix of both. And like you said, it's better to do something than not and just put your head in the sand. Yeah. And I guess that, you know, just to be a little bit more specific, what are some things that would be investor friendly, but maybe not existing resident friendly? I mean, there are a lot of, <laughs> I mean, look at investment today. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I get a call about this is the umpteenth concrete batch plant in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Can you stop this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my answer, sadly, has been no. Our, our hands are tied at the local level from, you know, we have to check with the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality and see if that's going to be something that they can stop. But we, we can't regulate that at a local level. We're preempted from doing so. So there are lots of calls that I get that are heartbreaking in terms of our ability to actually stop something from being that's clearly undesirable for residents, but we're not necessarily able to stop that. And so looking at numerous instances like that, or mm -hmm. I'm being priced out or, you know, priced out of my area, what can I do? And, and some of that will happen. I'm not suggesting that we'll have some magical prospectus and, mm -hmm. and then gentrification will be eliminated. No, that's not what will happen. Normal, I mean, you see property values continue to increase inside of the city limits just as a nature of our city's growth and economy being what it is. But at the same time, you can completely ignore those risks and just continue to invest as you would like, or you can pay attention to those risks and say, I value you as part of our community and I would like for you to figure out a way to co everybody to coexist. I don't think it has to always be mutually exclusive. I think there's a way to responsibly revitalize areas that are both beneficial to someone who wants to make a profit, but then is beneficial to the community itself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it slows down that process. I think you know, part of community building is a little bit messy. <laughs> you know, you 
you're all of a sudden there are more cooks and you say for the investor, well, I'm the one with the capital. Why do I need to invite all these cooks into the kitchen with me? Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to do it in a way that is easier for that voice to be accepted and heard and that input to be a value when you can say it's a win for you and it's a win for you too. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so that's my hope. I mean, certainly it's it's going to take some time to get there, but hopefully at least it has some influence on some of the folks that are looking to invest through Opportunity Zones. Okay. Definitely. And if we have a listener who has thoughts? Yes, they can always contact us. Um, you can call my office. I get a lot of calls about it, 832-393-3012. Okay. Great. Well, yeah, Council, thank you. Councilwoman Edwards, thank you so much for being thank here. You. Thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for explaining what, what you guys are doing with Opportunity Zones. Listeners, thank you as well. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you don't already, please subscribe to Looped In on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you have an idea for a show or want to just give feedback on Opportunity Zones or any of our topics, Please reach out. We are on Facebook or Twitter. I am at N Sarnoff and Rebecca, you are at I'm at R Shoots, which is R-A-S-C-H-U-E-T-Z. All right, great. Thanks everyone. See you next time.